Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is hella good to see all of your friendly faces. And yes, I did use the term hella good instead of fantastic uh, due to our guest today, Hella Fredrickson. And I just like saying the word hella and hella good sounds even better together. So Hella Fredrickson, I reckon good should be your new middle name, Hella Good Fredrickson. There you go. You are welcome. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by a lack of sleep. Due to a game of snoring ping pong or table tennis, uh, wherever you live, it's called different things, uh, that went on between my husband, Bretty, and my almost three-year-old, Frankie Flo, who decided to play that game all throughout the night, last night, in bed. Also, Frankie's still not sleeping in her own bed seems to keep wanting to come up and curl in between us. But the good news is she's becoming even more ninja about it, apart from the snoring. Uh, but it means she doesn't necessarily wake us up when she crawls into bed. We just wake up in the morning and bang, there she is. Snoring, however, wakes me up all throughout the night. So good times. Anyways, uh, let's get stuck in to my chat with Danish superstar, Hella Fredrickson. Please excuse this very brief interruption. I'm just here to say, if you are not already a Wits Up Patreon member, please consider signing up. It really helps us out and supports Wits Up to continue to bring you powerful narratives of women in sport. Just click the link in the description below uh, or just simply go to patreon.com slash Wits Up. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Wits Up. And I assume you know how to spell Wits Up. Uh, okay, back to the podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. To be, to be honest, I've wanted you on the podcast for quite some time, but I see you popping up on on other podcasts and I never want to, you know, um, dilute our conversation. So I want to wait for a good amount of time and then I'm like, yeah. right, get you on the podcast. Yeah. I am chatting yeah. with the Hella Fredrickson. Have I pronounced that correctly? That is perfect, Steph, yeah. <laughs> I think you actually told me how to say that when we met in... Bahrain and you said yep, it was I did. yeah and I think you told me that I have to say think of it like hella good <laughs> probably <laughs> probably I'm pretty sure you yeah. did um yeah yeah I've had many ways of like teaching people how to pronounce my name because the worst way they can pronounce it is hell and yeah. just do not pronounce the e in the end it's like hell I'm not hell like <laughs> I'm Hella. Yep. Um, not Hell. Um, Got it. So, yeah. But it's, um, I mean, it's a pretty unique international name, but it's not too unique in Denmark. But um, in the triathlon scene, it is. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So it's a pretty uh, standard kind of name in Denmark. Well, it was in the 80s. There was quite a few in the 80s called Hella. Yeah. Um, but now it seems like it's a bit more like a, um, I wouldn't call myself middle-aged, but... <laughs> Not like youth, <laughs> youth anymore. <laughs> Wait, how old are you now? Well, I think I'm the same birth age as you. So I just turned forty. Are you an eighty-one baby? Yes, I turned forty in March. 
Oh, yeah, we're very close. Yeah. Have, you just turned 40 as well, right? Yeah, May, 1st of May. Yeah. Yeah, yep. 5th of March. So ah, um, yep. we're the same. We How are does the same. it feel? So this uh, 4.0, you know, the version, I have kind of like, I have checked out some of the mistakes a little bit before you. So I cleared out some for you. So your version might be a bit better. (laughs) 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 4.01. Exactly. We are in Melbourne. We just went back into lockdown for a couple of weeks. Um, But prior to that, I did have my 40th and had a big birthday bash. And all all I can say is thank God we got it in that weekend because it was outside of, I think, my wedding and meeting Frankie for the first time, best weekend ever. Oh, I was up I'm there. happy to hear that. It oh, was that's so cool. nice. Yeah, yeah. We we had a small, uh, well, I had one for my family and then I had one from, from, for a bunch of girlfriends. Yeah. Um, and it was also just, it was, it was relatively close because we were still in kind of a restriction COVID, yeah. uh, but it was fun. It was completely let your hair down and sing songs from the 90s and go crazy and dance all night long and Ben was he, Ben was kind of the um, the waiter oh. and the bartender <laughs> he was just like oh no what's happening in there he's like those girls are crazy what's what's so, one of your 90s songs what's a throwback to a 90s song well you it's all we all it was all actually Danish sing-along oh. songs <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible okay. So and they included some dance movements, you know, that you could still remember even though there's like 30 years ago. How can you remember those dance movements still? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, was a good, it was a good night. It was not a good day after. So, so your version of letting loose, letting the hair down is you, you get on it a little bit. Yeah. 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 It was really nice. Yeah. It was needed. I think that <laughs> we've been away from people for so long and haven't really celebrated anything. And I feel like the last year has just disappeared without, you, you don't really know what had happened the last year. Can't yeah. really remember much. Yeah. Um, so that was just really nice to just feel a little bit more normal. Mm-hmm. Um, just being together and everybody, you know, had a negative COVID test. So no one had anything. So we could hug and do whatever. And it was that was really nice. Oh, gosh. How good is hugging people? Oh, yeah. It's, it's so nice. And you can sit close and just like, oh, I yeah. miss that so much. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. At my 40th. I, I wasn't going to make a speech because I just I just didn't think it was a speech worthy occasion. Um, but, but but I don't mind being center of attention for a couple of minutes. So, but I got up and I just started crying because I was like, I'm just I am just so overwhelmingly happy to be in a room full of people that I that I love. And I was just so happy that I'm like, I need to tell you all. <laughs> it yeah, may have been a few bottles of wine, but it was <laughs> makes it even better. You just ah. Comes, yeah. becomes a little loose, right? And it's, yeah, it's exactly. fine once in a while. Yeah, exactly. So um, if you're not aware of what's happened in the last year, I can fill you in on what you've been doing. <laughs> uh, you've been pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have actually done a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so apparently you, you launched a, well, a book very well. In the last few months it actually... Was yeah, it came yeah. out. Yeah, it came out in English. Yeah, and yeah. We, I, I launched it in Danish uh, about a year ago now. Mm. So straight after I retired, I started to write uh, the Danish book. 
uh, my autobiography. Uh, so it's actually, I retired in August and I started in September writing. I retired August 19 and I started writing in September and it took about a year, half a year. Wow. Um, and then um, together with a, a journalist as well. So we were writing more or less together, ping-ponging back and forth. Right. And then it came out in June last year in Danish. And then we, um, we got the international rights to publish it in English, which we thought, um, well, put it on us. That'll be amazing. That shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. That's been a big deal. Um, it's, um, we are very, very proud of where we are today with the English book, but it's been, a, I mean, to get it translated and to get it published and get it printed and proofreading and all the setup and editing and it's it's a big job to mm. to publish a book um, on your own so it's pretty cool to have it out now and it's pretty cool to now starting to get all the feedback from people and also like the quality of the book is nice yeah. so the whole kind of finished product is really nice which we would like it to be yeah Do, are you surprised by the uptake for the English version as in a good surprise or yeah, yeah yeah I am in a good surprise yeah and it's it's really nice to see that that how I have my international reach is mm. quite big mm. and it's really nice to see that how you can affect uh, and inspire so many people around the world even though you are living in a little countryside <laughs> yeah. place in Denmark um, that you can still tell your story um, yeah. And it's being received really, really well. And it's not just English-speaking countries. It's everywhere. They're that's buying it. So that's quite cool. Amazing. Congrats. That's, that's awesome news. Thank you. And when you, when you decide to write the book or when you decided to write the book, was it, were you thinking about that before you retired or did it kind of just hit you after you retired that this is your next, next thing to do? I actually got approached already in 2014 whether oh, I wanted to write and yeah an autobiography at that point and I was like I felt that point that I was in the middle of my career and I probably did not have the time to really dive in and give it my all and then um, he contacted me again in the beginning of 2019 this is the uh, editing chief from this publishing house in Denmark that contacted me and then I said, well, I am actually uh, considering whether this year is going to be my last professional racing year. And um, I'm still not quite sure, but I think it might be my last year. And he said, even better, even better. We're going to start this book when you're done, because then it's still, you know, pretty hot, everything. And you have time to, to write. And actually, it turned out to be such a good process for me because it made me go back all the way back and kind of evaluate and analyze and put everything into perspective and actually um, yeah it made me super proud and it made me even more happy with my decision that it yeah. was the right one at the right time so it was a, it was tough but it was yeah. great timing yeah. so yeah we've had it uh, on the radar for like five years to write this book before wow. I started writing and then when I then started to kind of talk about that it's coming out in Danish, then people were like, in English? Is it coming in English? You know, we can't read Danish, blah, blah, blah. And then I was just like, Ben, are we going to try and get this translated? And then in the beginning, we was like, yeah, Ben is translating. He's going to write it in English. <laughs> and when we then, <laughs> we were just like, uh-uh, not going to happen. <laughs> we are never, ever going to be done with this thing. 
So no, it got translated uh, professionally. Wow. Okay. Cause do you think it would have taken you another six months if you if you two did it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah, right. I uh, the guy that translated was was brilliant. Of course, I needed to get over it again and bend it mm. as well for to get all the triathlon lingo right. Sure. Because he was not he did not know anything about mm. triathlon. Um. Mm. So, so but it was uh, no. It was good we did not take that one on. We think we can take everything on. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you need to be realistic. You know, that's fair. That is absolutely fair. And I'm yeah. going to come back to Ben because um, I like the way that you, that you two approach things. It, to me, it seems like um, you've really, well, you've always been a team, um, let's be yeah. fair, but it feels like that's really apparent in your next stages since oh, yeah. since retiring. Yeah. Yeah. There's absolutely something incredibly special about going through a professional elite career together. Um, you see each other where you are most vulnerable. Um, and, you know, I mean, as, a, as an elite person or a sports person, you're really sometimes really far out. I mean, I mean like you are tired, you're fatigued, you are in pain, you have injuries, or you're on the high and you are you're screaming and you're happy and you're crying and you know you almost can't be in yourself of of emotions so you see every um aspects and i think that really makes you so so strong and there's like there's nothing you can't say or anything or you know also like you're never really like concerned about i remember some of the first dates we had you know that was kind of training you did not care if you have snot out your nose yeah. or that you needed to go to the toilet in the middle of a run or whatever, you know, like it was straight on. It was not like sitting politely at a restaurant and <laughs> or eating politely and making sure that you were being this polite feminine girl. <laughs> no, it was erased from the beginning. So, I mean, we hit it <laughs> straight on in the beginning. I think that's really good for a relationship. And I think like, yeah, I can't see what can, you know, be able to break that down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh gosh, I remember when meeting Brett and it was it was on the bike and I thought as if you're ever going to be attracted to me. Like you've seen me at my absolute worst and he's like, "Yeah, exactly. It's all good." Yeah, you might even have served him a little snot rocket in his face or something. I'm positive of it. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that you assumed that I was at the front of the group and he was sitting behind me because you're right. <laughs> And he still somewhere. Else. It totally. They know. Mm -hmm. They know where <laughs> where the people are. They know where, is. where exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but back to your book. What? Um, and I actually did a, a podcast with Alicia Kay not that long ago, and you yeah. came up in conversation, yeah. and I, I want to get to that as well. But um, she seemed extremely happy and confident with her decision to retire. Um, yeah. For quite yeah. a few different reasons, obviously, and you. Yeah. I. I, the, you mentioned this, but the book seems like it was a cathartic thing for you to be able to really get it out there and let go of that career to an extent. Is that is that a fair summation? Um, yeah, I think it was a good like kind of ending mm. to it to kind of get it all down in writing because there, are, of course, I've been in the sport for so long, but mm. I've been an, an elite athlete for so long, and there are so many stories that hasn't been told. Mm. And I mean, my beginning of career came before we got kind of 
visible on social media. There was nothing, anything called social media, right? Yeah. So the story only started to be told from like 13, I would say, where social media really started to kick in and mm. Instagram came back in and those things came in. So I feel that there's so many stories to be told and there's so many um, very vulnerable moments that I've been going through and where I really, really expose myself and show what's behind the scene and show you know what I've gone through of kind of development steps and and told some stories along the way in the book that I had uh, on purpose forgot because I am ashamed of them oh um, wow. like it was a part of the development and it is some stories that it was important to tell because I am 100% confident that there are a lot of people that go through similar situation whether it's in sport or in that work situation so I mm. wanted to give and show my nakedness or vulnerability and show okay I might be a lot has a lot been on the top of the podium one of the best in the world but I'm just a human I make mistake and I p do some wrong thing you know I take the wrong choice sometimes mm. Um, mm. and I wanted to get that in so it's mm. incredible honest, the book. And I think like coming all the way back to telling the beginning, it really, you know, wraps this uh, career up quite mm. nicely. Mm. Um, yeah. So, but my career didn't end like I had wished it to do, but it is, you know, it is what it is. You know, you can't plan this fairy tale ending and, mm. you know, you have a lot of visions in your head, but uh, sometimes things happen, life happens yeah right yeah absolutely yeah fairy yeah. tales are very hard to uh uh execute to, oh <laughs> to yeah get out there for sure yeah, yeah. I wanted to I find it interesting that I imagine there was things sort of buried in order for you to move on throughout your career and and you spoke about some of those vulnerable moments um throughout your career what what is something that you learnt about yourself during this process, whether it be something from the past or something about what you are or who you've become now? What did you learn about yourself? I think I learned that if my if my goal or that what I wish to achieve or dream to achieve is strong enough, I can be super patient and I can work like in the process and or even if it is that I go three step backwards. If I if it's still like a burning desire, if my why is strong enough for what why I'm doing what I'm doing, I would keep at it. Mm -hmm. And I have felt that also after my career, mm -hmm. that it might not go as planned and it might not, you know, things I have visioned other things happening. But, you know, good things takes time and you just need to keep having that why in mind and just keep at it every single day, day in and day out. And I think I learned that being that patient and keep believing in my career because I've had really, perseverance is probably my middle name. Hmm. Um, I mean, I've had so many defeats and downs in my career. I've also had amazing moments, mm. um, but I actually truly think that for you to understand what it means to experience an amazing moment you need to be really really low and down biting in the grass and struggling to get back up on your feet before you really understand what it means to be successful i think it's a part of the journey mm. and i want to show that backside of the metal if you want to call it that or the the hardship yeah i want to show that 
Yeah. And without giving obviously too much away in the book because we we want everyone to go out there and purchase the book, um, are there any specific moments that have really struck a chord with you that that you write about in the book? Oh, I write about many things, but I think like um, something like an overall theme could be like if you are under pressure and you are – meeting problems or huge challenges and it sometimes keep being too overwhelming for you the decision is never to hide away from it it's never to you know yeah literally hide quit um hide under the couch hide under anything Mm. um it is to either be vocal about this progression in my life or this challenge in my life is too early I need a little bit more time before I'm ready to in triathlon do this race step on to this podium uh, uh, pontoon in this championship I need more time to develop mentally and physically as a person and that can also be in everyday life it can also be in a work situation where you're thrown in you've got a task from your boss and you are just you really don't know what to do about it. It's just too much. Like you rather want to say, okay, I'm just going to go uh, south or I'm, I'm just going to go traveling for two months uh, because I can't do it. Or I think I'm ill. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to be ill the next two months, you know, Yeah. because you're starting to find these things where you want to hide, you want to get away because this is too overwhelming. It's too much for you. Yeah. And those moments are being shown in the book. Um, where I was sometimes, you know, hiding and wanted to run away from from episodes because it was too quick, too much from for a little girl in the development stage. Right. And something I really, really learned about and just wanted to show that that feeling of wanted to hide or run away from things is normal if mm. it's too overwhelming. We get it all the time, right? Mm. You face something crazy, like you have a, a huge job interview and you of course, you're excited to do it, but at the same time, you don't really know. And if he called and canceled it, it would be fine. Yeah. Because then you have another two weeks to prepare or something like that. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, there, there could almost be a little bit of um, uh, self-sabotage because it is all too much and overwhelming that yeah. that sort of instinct kicks in. Yeah. 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 And it, I don't, and, and I think that is, that's coming up quite a bit, especially in the beginning of my career. Right. Um, where I'm obviously learning a lot along the way and being maturing as an athlete. Mm. Uh, but I'm really being honest about what's going on and also the mental self-talk and what's happening and how I'm making decisions along the way and mm. when I made wrong decisions and when I did not follow my gut feeling. And there's many, many, yeah, good episodes where, mm. I mean, at, at the point, it w- they were not good for me. <laughs> but you, yeah. the reader will learn a lot. I think yeah. the reader will be able to look inside themselves and see, wow, I've experienced that also. What did I actually do in that situation? And along the way, I'm giving tools um, mm. to overcome and change, you know, some of the decisions that you made. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. With, with So, and I've not written an autobiography, but I've written about <laughs> myself um, yeah. just a couple of times and been quite vulnerable and open about it and... I just I remember hitting publish on those articles and then shutting my computer and having to go away for a little while 
for a little while yeah. because it was that was really overwhelming. And then yeah. the, the flood of feedback was in, incredible. Like everyone was has been amazing whenever I've written yeah. something like that. Um, but I I did find that really overwhelming on so many different levels. Did you yeah. get that feeling once the book first came out? And then I guess when it came out again in English? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah because you you've given so much of yourself. Mm. You have really turned yourself inside out and showed who are you really. Mm. And then you are just a little bit like, was that too much? Did I give away too much? You know, is that, you know, did people come too close now? And you have mm. that feeling until you kind of starting to get the feedback. And it's like, wow, this is actually inspiring people. It's helping people. It's mm. even helping people, you know, overcome other challenges in life or illnesses. Um, or if they have family members going through some bad stuff, you know, mm. they are really... Uh, I've got a lot of feedback where people outside this world can really use it as well, the book. And yeah. that is, that is a, that I think that is really great feedback. That's something that makes me really happy. That it's not just like a person, just, just, but a triathlete, <laughs> but it's yeah. other people too, normal people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true though. A, a lot of people will purchase a, and we'll just stick with sport at the moment, but a sporting autobi autobiography and have nothing to do with the sport and get, I mean, we can learn so much from, uh, from, from sport on any different yeah. level. And I feel, yeah. you know, I've read, I've read books about boxers and um, mm -hmm. footballers and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not in that sport, but there's always something uh, that someone can exactly. take away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, prior to writing a book, how much experience did you have writing and did that, seem overwhelming and a bit daunting to begin with because I wouldn't even know where to start and I write no. for a living yeah no that did seem overwhelming <laughs> and daunting I mean um luckily I had the the journalist and we kind of like make the bit big framework you know what do we want to have in how do we want to build it up how how should the prologue be so like the prologue in the beginning where it kind of it throws you into the middle of the career and then you go backwards again from there and move up past the prologue and forward. Mm. I did not know it was kind of building. So like you come in with a teaser throw in the head of the, for the reader. Right. And then the reader just want to read. Yeah. Um. so I didn't know you build it like that, but when we kind of made the framework, then I could slowly start to fill it in what I wanted to have in each chapters and how, as people are calling it, calling it a page turner that how, you know, you leave one in the end of a chapter and then it's like, wow, I need to read a chapter more. That's yeah. how, what you want to do, like, because you want to keep gripping the reader that you don't want the reader to leave. And yeah. I've also, people are saying they read it in a couple of days, two or three days, because they can't oh, put it down. Great and that feedback. is, yeah, it is really nice that they're really so much into it. And obviously that it is becoming this page turn up because you are kind of hanging them on a cliff in each end of each chapter. And then, they want to read again. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, and I'm not a journalist and I'm never going to become a journalist. <laughs> no, I just love it that the, the translation to, to cliffhanger, which I know exactly what you're talking about, but I, I love that you say you, ha you hang them off the edge of a cliff. Like I just, it just, it's, it just makes me laugh. I love it. It's my Danish English coming in here. <laughs> Uh, but you're saying everything right. It just, um, <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I'm very easily amused. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Please excuse this very brief interruption. I would like to tell you about Eat For You. They make healthy and delicious bars. My personal favorite is the Hero Bar, which is choc peppermint flavored. Also, it's Frankie Flo's favorite flavor. Whew, that is a mouthful. Uh, but they also do some really cool things within the community, including the Give A Bit program, which I'm an ambassador for. If you use the WitsUp10 code at checkout on their website, you not only get a 10% discount, but they also tally up all of the WitsUp10 codes from all across the lands. And from that, they give us food to give to a community or a charity of my choice. As far as the bars go, the things that separate them from from the pack are that they don't use protein powders, fillers, or sweeteners. So there's no preservatives, nothing in there, just all good food. Uh, their bars are vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. They've all been lab tested and confirmed. Plus, they are also all batch tested. So you know you're getting high quality products that are also safe. And their packaging is plastic-free and home compostable. So they're just doing all the things that are great for people, great for the planet. It's just greatness. And I highly recommend that you jump on their website and use that code WITSUP10 when you check out to make sure you get your 10% discount and the warm, fuzzy feeling knowing that you are part of the Give A Bit program. The year of 2020, or I guess the last 18 months that you don't remember about, and again, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to remind you. Um, yeah. Well, let's go to something that's super recent. Recently, you had a new member join the household. Yes. Which was amazing. <laughs> uh, a, a member with four legs, very exactly. furry. Little, yeah. mi- is it Milo or Milo? Milo. Milo. Yeah, it- so it's an Australian, which you would love, yes. <laughs> Labradoodle. So and that it- is a um, mixture between a Cocker Spaniel, a Poodle and a Labrador. Ah, yes. And that, they're like yeah. little fluffy teddy bears. Completely, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he's like caramel colored, apricot colored, uh, little fluffhead. He's like a little fluff ball. He's pretty cute. Is he your new, the new love of your life? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> ben, ben also said like the other day, you have to remember the other man in your life. <laughs> yeah. He, he again knows where the pecking order is now. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, kissing goodnight, it's first Milo and then Ben. <laughs> Oh gosh. What um did did you ever float the idea of getting a dog while you're a professional triathlete or did the travel sort of stop you from doing that and then finally you could settle in one spot? Time for the dog. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We 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 did speak about what is impossible with the the way we live and we wanted to be around him and influence him and uh, now we have a house and it's a perfect location for a dog. So I think it would be too much with the also like I spend a lot of time, you know, walking him, training him, being on him, you know, just making sure that he's going to or trying to make sure he's going to become an amazing dog yep. when he grows up. And it takes it's a time commitment. And I can't see how I could squeeze in five hours of training um, with, with the amount of time I spend with him now, plus work, plus a little bit of exercise. Yeah. And so please tell me, yeah. I, I bet, because I imagine you, correct me if I'm wrong, you're quite an organized, structured person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Please tell me that you've got like a training schedule up on the fridge for the dog as well. I bet <laughs> you do. You do, don't you? 
I haven't gone that far though, but I do have ideas every day of and new things he needs to experience because you know the first four months of a of a puppy's life, mm. it needs to socialize, which yeah. means like that is where he creates the picture of his world the first four months, and that's where he's most receptive in his brain mm. to to those things. So I'm making sure that we are meeting and doing things every day, different things. If it's meeting a cow or sitting on a boat or <laughs> going into a city or meeting a guy in a wheelchair or you know, something like that going down at the school with kids everywhere. So I, I try to get something new in every day. I like it. You've done your research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This doesn't yeah. surprise me of- either. Exactly. It is actually quite funny how I approach it a little bit like, you know, how do you get the best performance out? <laughs> you 100% do. <laughs> and now I'm like, how do I get the best balanced little dog out? I hope that him, because sometimes he's a little stubborn that he doesn't want to really, you know, he knows what I mean, but it's like, mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) and that's the problem. He's such a smart dog that he can outsmart you if you're not Mm. really, you know, being the boss out there. So does he get his stubbornness from you or from Ben? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's me. I do. Oh gosh. Oh, yeah. I imagine you to be so, so you're also coaching, right? Yeah. And I imagine again, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just from my understanding of you. Um I imagine you're a tough but fair coach. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I I'm one that uh, I'm very motivated to work with athletes that wants to work and um, it doesn't matter the level they have, uh, if they're the top age grouper or if they're just a beginner or just a beginner or if they're a professional, as long as they want to work and as long as they want to show the commitment that they want to achieve something in sport or in life in general, I love to work with these people. I'm not a person that handholds them. I'm not a person that pulls them off the couch. Mm-hmm. They have to be off the couch before that. Um, and if there's too much moaning and fluffing around, that doesn't motivate me. Um, <laughs> but but of course, I will help them and give them, you know, encouragement along the way. Of course, we all have moments where we're just really down and we, we can't really find the purpose of what we're doing, especially through COVID. And um, mm. that's definitely been a period where we have spent a lot of time speaking and the mental approach to things in life that is uncontrollable and uh, you can't plan for we love to plan most of us that's doing the sport or in general our type person we we like to plan yeah whatever we're doing we plan and we can't plan anything with this uh, pandemic that we are in so I think I've spent a lot of time with that with my athletes but I will say um yeah I am fair a little bit hard but also with a great sense of empathy okay okay and do you feel like, so going back to Alicia, one of the things that we spoke about, which I will always remember because I love it, um, I mean, the entire chat was great, but she mm. spoke about how when you two were racing, each other, great friends, but you used to yeah. race each other and um, yeah. uh, most mostly over the non-drafting Olympic distance when it, yes. was, when yeah. it was huge, like you two were there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. ones to watch. And you essentially had said to her one day um don't let your niceness as a as a person 
carry on to the racetrack. You you need to race like you yeah. want to destroy people. And she she obviously always remembers that. I don't know if she's yeah. spoken to you about that since. Um, yeah, I think yeah. she's. Uh, I think she learned a lot from that point because we we did get very close and we mm. trained a lot together. And I think in training as well, we were very good at kind of. Some days I was the one picking her up and some days it was the other way around. But somehow we always lifted each other. And I think I sometimes put on a little bit like the coach hat where mm-hmm. I explain why we're we doing this. And this is the reason why we have this session. We were both coached by Joel Filial and where she's more the one that, you know, follows. And she's happy to just do the session prescribed with not asking any questions at all. And sometimes if the session did not go well, she would be a little bit like couldn't find the reason for why we did it. And I would always be able to kind of encourage and say why, how we still got something out of the session, how we are still going to, you know, move in the right direction. And then, you know, racing, she would, um, yeah, she would in the beginning definitely always be the one to kind of like, yeah, great, great job, Ella, great job. And like not really focus on herself. Um and yeah, so I just said like we we always like hocked in the beginning before we started the race and then um see you at the finish line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then we will see who uh, who has the best legs on the day. And yeah. and and yeah, it was um sometimes she won, sometimes I won. I'd say in the beginning in 13, she won the most ones um over me. And then in 14, I won, I won a lot of them. And, um, yeah, the, the finish line, for instance, in, in high V in 14 that I won, um, which was that huge, uh, American championship in non-draft Olympic distance with, with a lot of money on the line. And I remember a day in, in the apartment in Boulder where we were training, um, we, we had each our apartment with our husband, but she said, can you imagine we go one, two, can you really imagine that? How wild would that be? And we were just like, ah, okay, that's a little crazy. You know, what scenario? How can that, you know? And we were not like, I want to go one or, you know, like it's it's not just the two of us go one, two. Yeah. Um, and that happened. She was second. And I mean, that finish line photo where she comes in and I'm kind of down in in on my knees, you know, arms out to the side because she's running. She's straight one running into my arms and yeah. just like we go mad, both yeah. of us. We're just so happy for each other. Yeah. And that's just the best. I mean, that's just the best. Um, other other great races where I, yeah, when she's won them, I almost feel that we won them. Oh, that's cool. Um, because we really carried each other. And I think if you're not too proud to give off, you know, to give away and feedback or help each other out in training if you're not too proud you can lift each other rather than drag each other down and i think we lifted each other's level clearly enormously clearly yeah, yeah absolutely but I, yeah but and I it's, like, yeah it's, sorry it's still great to have this person you know you can still talk with you know a, a great friend that you can share you know life problems and mm. thoughts right that it's not just about swim, bike, run. That's the only thing you can do together. So it was super special. And I think that women having that relationship in sport is maybe not so common. Um, right. Again, yeah. it was a special relationship and it still is. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I bet you miss, uh, particularly with the pandemic uh, and both being retired, it just becomes harder and harder to 
to catch up obviously face to face um oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. imagine that reunion though when you get What's to that? See, imagine that reunion when you get to see oh sort of yeah face-to-face yeah again. there are so many people in the u.s that we want to see uh, that. yeah so we're definitely getting over there to do a little round when yep. we can yep definitely um i want to go back uh and you sort of mentioned this that the triathlon typically has a lot of especially in the in the elite version of triathlon uh people who are super organized um and focused on specifics etc do you think you've always been that person or do you think by being a triathlete that sort of shaped you into that person I've always been organized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very structured, very uh, analytic, um, very evaluating, putting things into perspective. How can I become better? While I wrote my book, um, I was digging up um, swim diaries that I have made. I started when I was 11. Every single day, writing down a swim session, how fast did I swim? How did it go? What can I do better? Every day since 11. It's too cute, though. When I'm just, I was just sitting reading those, and you know, it's those um, black and red books, small books uh, with oh. you know, clear uh, you know, pages you write in your hand. Yeah, of course, yeah. There is not really computers at that point. I was like in the 90s, <laughs> um, beginning of the 90s. <laughs> um, but it was, it was cute, though. But it was impressive how I could, when I was 11 years, I could still, yeah, I swam this and this. I would have liked to have trained a little harder today, but I didn't have the energy. Something like that, you know, like, I think I should be better at breaststroke if I should be able to do well at the next competition. (laughs) Wow. I mean, how how old is the kids, though? Was that? As As a child, you're probably the most honest with yourself as a child. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it was it was insane. Yeah. yeah, my parent must have had a, such an easy time. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was just this person just swam, just swam. That was what I did. Well, and, of course, uh, I went to school. And that, and in between swimming, you jetting yeah. off to school. When when you were when you were eleven or when you started swimming, what, what was the goal for you back then? What did you want to be? I wanted to get to the Olympics as a swimmer. <laughs> Yes, as a swimmer. Yeah, that was always my dream to get to the Olympics. Yeah. And then I just, in the beginning, I just wanted to, you know, starting by winning the regional championship, that was the goal. Then it became like the Danish championship and then it became like international championship. So it was, you know, gradually, it was not like I wanted to become a world champion when I was a kid. Uh, I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to become an Olympian, but it was still like, I would still get high of winning the regional championship and then I would be really happy about that. But then I wanted the next step. So yeah. I was actually, you know, not jumping too far. Yeah. I was actually taking step by step and improving really, really fast uh, when I was a kid. Of course. Um, and also yeah. got to the, yeah, the national champion. Um, uh, I raced, um, swam for the Danish um, national team. Already when I was 12, I got on the national team. Um Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was very young. How very old young. were the others? Uh, yeah, so so I got on the youth national team. Yeah. So they were young, same yeah. age as me. And then yeah. I got oh. on the junior national team and then the senior national team. So I moved up as I got older. Right. Yeah. And when did yeah. that transition into triathlon? 
but I when I, I stopped swimming when I was 19 uh, actually I suddenly um, yeah I, I had a big assignment in um, college probably yeah. you would call it yeah um, and I just wanted to focus on that for a little bit for for a month or so and then I'll just come back I just need a little break but I never came back um, wow. I never came back swimming so it was really like an unfulfilled potential and so many coaches were just like it is such a shame you're wasting a huge talent but I am um, I needed to be young I needed to be normal um, right. there were some things that I felt that I had missed right. uh, throughout my teenage years so I actually just out of the blue more or less I stopped it was really? like I kept away from elite sport um, because I I know that every time I go into something, I do it 110%. Yeah. So I try to keep away from things. And I was actually just allowing myself to to be young wow. <laughs> and enjoy the young things. But um, after some years, that was, um, that was enough. I started university. I went traveling in Australia, ah. uh, backpacking, for instance, New Zealand, Bali, Malaysia, Thailand. So I went backpacking and, and just living life. Um, but as I started university again, I started to compete in some um, running races, local running races. Yeah, I've always been a good runner as a kid. And then, you know, as you started to feel that taste of winning, <laughs> the adrenaline, all these cool things. I became a spinning instructor. And then suddenly there was um, a post up on the wall. There was a local uh, triathlon race. Um, and my my member or my the people that was always in my classes encouraged me to race it, and that was in two thousand and four. So I've been out for from elite sport in five years at that point. Wow! And so it's a long time I was out, yeah. And I actually started in triathlon quite late, and it was not before two thousand and six when I went to Australia for half a year to actually use my. I had a a year off from my bachelor degree to my master degree. Yeah, and I went to Australia actually to use my education to work down there. But then I went to live on the Gold Coast, and then suddenly there was triathlon everywhere. Yeah, a little bit everywhere, and I just fell in love with it. I, uh, um, Rasmus Henning, which is um, a Danish triathlete that was really, really, really good, uh, like twenty years ago or fifteen years ago, he put me in contact with Annabelle Luxford. Oh no way! Um, yeah, so I was this little girl and she picked me up. Well, I was not a little girl. I was actually 25, but I felt very little. <laughs> she picked me up and uh, she took me around the hoods, uh, around down there in Brisbane and showed me that she thinks I should train in on the Gold Coast with Jenny Alcon because it's probably the best area for me to be in. And just really being, and at that point, she was the best in the world, right? Yeah. She was... Uh, she was number one in the, in the World Cup series, um, and I was so starstruck, so starstruck. And she was amazing, really amazing. And uh, yeah, oh. I started to train down on the Gold Coast with Jenny Alcon together oh. with um, Ashley Gentle. And Ashley Gentle was this tiny, tiny, tiny little, yeah, super, super fast, super fast. She was always leading yeah. all the track sessions. Um, that was how I got into it. I just started to love this sport. So. It's funny how I um, yeah met Annabelle uh, so you know so early yeah and we raced each other until I stopped basically. Wow! <laughs> well, they, I didn't yeah. I didn't know you were part of the Jenny Alcorn crew as well. Yep. Like she's a, yeah yeah she's a she's huge a legend Jenny. absolute legend. Yeah. Oh, she was she was great. She taught me a lot, um, and also afterwards, she's been following my career, and uh, it's been 
yeah, it's been amazing. So it was Australia that actually uh, made me fall in love with the sport. Yep. Denmark can thank Australia. Uh, exactly. Helen <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Olympian Thanks, and thanks. world champion and multiple champion of all this, all the things in triathlon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. I never knew that side of the story. It's in there. It's in there with the with Annabelle. Um, right. She's mentioned many times in the book because we've raced each other so many times. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that was uh, – I really thank her for what she did there for me for sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. What did um the – well, the five years, but in particular the backpacking, what did you – what did you get out of that? What did that – how did that shape you? I think an incredible amount of independency. Sure. Uh, and then, like, uh, wanted to try things and not being afraid. Yeah. Um, we were very – I was uh, traveling with another girl, uh, another friend of mine, and uh, we were very, like, gutsy. We actually – on yeah. New Zealand, gutsy, yeah. So What's we that? took chances. We took oh, chances. Gutsy, sorry. Out there. Gutsy. <laughs> gutsy. <laughs> That was, a, again, a pronunciation <laughs> of my English. <laughs> it's also because my English is terrible. So, yeah, yeah, it's, right. yeah right. blame it on me. Uh, anyway, so you're very gutsy, sorry. Yeah, so on New Zealand, I was told if there's anywhere in the world that you should hitchhike, it should be New Zealand. So we actually, both on the North Island and the South Island, we hitchhiked the whole way around. Did you? Yes. We did, which is something that I did not tell my parents, obviously. Uh, nope. Very smart <laughs> two move. Two blonde girls that was at a point 21 years old. We just hitchhiked our way around the whole of New Zealand. So, um, <laughs> yeah, definitely taking chances and living life to the fullest and just, you know, living in the present, yeah. really in the present. Um, it was an amazing uh, four months. We yeah. were away there. Absolutely shaped me um, to be also not afraid, not afraid. And, and I think also you are able to now I mentioned perspective many, th many times in, in other areas, but in terms of seeing what's happening around the world. When we got up to Asia, what's happening? How are they living up there? You know, mm. all the way up in the north of Thailand, for instance, where the tribes, how are they living out there in the jungles and I think all these things have kind of really made an impact on um, how I view things and how I um, have learned about different cultures and maybe also my hunger or my interest in different cultures. Mm. Um, we, we had a lot of homestays along the way where you were kind of just sharing your culture and your beliefs mm. um, or, you know, how you look at life. And I, and I really love that. Meeting people like that and people opening their homes is, is amazing. You don't travel better than that. I don't think so. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely something pretty special. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 And I don't think you can always pinpoint um, what you've learned. It's just it's this because you are in that moment, like you say, it's just it's sort of infiltrating your body and you're learning as you go. You can't say specifically what it is you've learned, but it's just shaping you throughout all those experiences. And um, Exactly. And I think it, it's really, if you can, as a young person, to get out like that, it is, I think it really shapes you mm. um, a lot for later on in life and there's something yeah. you can draw upon, like think back mm. on and, wow, I did experience that and that was, you know, and when you're 21, there is, 
you can be affect you can be so shaped and you can be so affected by so many things in a good way yeah you know yeah. whereas if you've lived uh, maybe a relative protected life in a western country uh, you maybe haven't seen what's happening out there yeah absolutely so but it's a it's quite a not a normal thing but relatively normal thing for danes to be encouraged to travel to go backpacking right um so after you've done college before you start university yeah it's very common to get out um and travel yeah okay um so you then i worked at um at a big supermarket in customer service and yeah. made money um for nine months and uh, made money to travel yeah and then i went traveling awesome so yeah. you, you highly recommend it, but we do need to have a disclaimer here. We we don't recommend hitchhiking. I will say this is 20 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. The world has changed. <laughs> um, so yeah. I think like, yeah, I would never ever. Mm -mm, you wouldn't do it do now? It. No. No. I don't think so. I think the world has changed a bit. I think it was yeah. a little bit more. And as also, it was actually my oldest brother that said to me that if there's anywhere in the world you should do it, it's New Zealand. They are so friendly over there. Yeah. They're so happy you actually made the effort to travel that far to visit them. Yeah. You know, because it's literally on the other side of the world, like you guys are too. But yeah. New Zealand is literally, yeah. you know, it's really far away from, from Europe. So if there's any place you should do it, it's New Zealand. We also... I only did it a few times up the coast in Australia, but not many times. Most of the times I was on a bus, the yeah, Greyhound okay. bus. Oh, the, the old Greyhound bus. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I mean, I agree with your brother. I think that's a fair, yeah, like New Zealand. I, I view New Zealand pretty similarly to him uh, in terms yeah. of, yeah. It's a safe country. I feel it's very safe. And they are, it, I was, the Australians are also friendly, but I think the New Zealand are, like quite extremely friendly yeah uh, and hospitality is is big over there yeah um yeah i just think that they uh, well the way i experienced at that point was that they were just thankful that we were gonna come and visit yeah and see their country and they wanted to show it off for us yeah it is it is like you say a very long long way away i remember traveling to I've spent a lot of time, obviously, in Europe, but the one that was the hardest trip was going straight to Challenge. Um, it, it was at Legoland. No, no, no. Oh, Beyond. Yeah, yeah. It, that was the longest, longest trip ever. My gosh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a, it's a long way away. And you came from what Perth there? No, from Melbourne. Or Melbourne. 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 Yeah. 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 Um, hey, you mentioned your brother. So, yeah. how 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 many siblings do you have? I have two older brothers. Ah, and what's that relationship like with them? It's good. Yeah, it's good. Um, the the middle one uh, has. I'm also talking about them quite a lot in the beginning of the book. But the middle one is probably the one that's kind of. Uh, um, I was looking up to him a lot. He was very sporty. He was right. playing football, and I always wanted to to be a part of it and and or soccer or whatever you call it yeah uh, to be a part of playing with him and training with him so it was all about competition from the get-go with him and he was the one that encouraged me as well to take all you know the swim um marks so like you you get like a 200 and a 500 and a thousand and a 2000 meter mark you know um, little batch oh, okay, for yep. getting that far mm -hmm. in in swimming he was the one that encouraged me to that and 
so he's been a big part of um yeah my sporting uh one so the sporting interest yeah. where the the biggest one was seven years older or is seven years older than me so when you're a kid it's a bigger jump sure and he was more the the wouldn't yeah he is very intelligent but he was reading a lot so he was more the reader and the thinker a lot so sitting a lot inside reading where uh, Pia the the middle one and I was just outside uh, fighting or <laughs> actually did we did fight but I was not allowed to cry or run into my mom and, and cry and say Pia has uh, hit me because then he didn't want to play with me anymore oh. so it was kind of like either you you we played my way or no way so you got to decide. There's a lesson there, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> yep, yep. I was toughened up. He, yeah. he definitely takes pride in that, that he made me tough as a little girl. Right. So that was going to be my question. And I don't think I've actually asked anyone this flat out, but d- because there's so many people in our lives that shape us, right? And sometimes we don't realize at the time, but as we get a bit older, and I, I imagine particularly for you writing an autobiography, you start to recognize, oh, this person shaped my life this way, this person did this. Have you reached out to to those people, those significant people uh, throughout your life and, and told them just m- how much of an effect that they've had on you? Yes. Oh, yeah. Especially, yes, especially through this, uh, this writing this book yeah. because you really see patterns. You see yeah. patterns that you go through your life like, there, you know, you have one that, that shapes you to become maybe like tough. Then you have one that is always the one that um, hugs you and holds you and calms you and keep keep you safe. Um, and, and I see those kind of transitioning again later in life. Then I have kind of the same setup again. And I also um, speak about that throughout my book, where it was some point where I realized that I needed to jump out of this, that I needed one that kept me safe, mm. that always um, was there to lean on, to give me a hug when I felt vulnerable or unsafe. I always looked for that person. Mm. And suddenly, um, when actually an episode where I decided to um, start with Joel Filial, or well, I started earlier with Joel Filial, but I went to the States to train with him in, in a squad over there in Claremont, actually, alone it was such a tough period for me because I had no one to lean on I had no one to that help my hand no one to cry with if I was feeling unsafe but that shaped me so much as an athlete as a person Mm -hmm. to step away from that setup that I usually have been seeking until then Mm. and from that on my career excelled like crazy but and I mentioned it quite detailed how I got through that camp and how I was struggling, how I was calling home crying Mm -hmm. and how I felt like Joel, um, he did not say it, but on purpose, he tried to shape me to become a way stronger uh, athlete and, you know, not as dependent on people, Mm -hmm. but an independent athlete by probably in the beginning, ignoring me a little bit. Right. He was not ignoring me, but he was not giving me the attention that I was seeking. Right. And then suddenly I accepted kind of that treatment. And then suddenly I started to grow and become more and more independent. And I was starting to deliver a result. And then it switched. So what he wanted me, he wanted me to grow and he wanted me to stand on my own legs and not have someone to lean on. Wow. And I was quite impressive to see that. 
And and now when I've been reading the book, I can see, as I said, the pattern that I've been going through many times that yeah. maybe kept me from really delivering. Right. And because I searched that that pattern of comfort all the time mm. in my life. Um, so he is definitely a huge part of me changing um, how independent I am and how tough I am as an athlete and as a person. Yeah, right. You, there's, yeah, I feel like you've sort of gone in and out of the – because when you were backpacking, you were extremely independent uh, yeah. then. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you maybe lost mm-hmm. – it sounds like you lost that for a little bit because you – Yeah. 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 I came back uh, home to, to the Danish kind of system and I got on the – yeah, I, I started studying there. But after that, I got on the national team in, in triathlon, which is relatively safe environment in Denmark on the National Training Centre – and I got the national coach, uh, Michael Krüger, which is an amazing man. Mm-hmm. And he took me under his wing as well and taught me, right? And and it was also a safe environment over there. He was always there to lean on. Yeah. And and he was amazing. And he helped me so much in the beginning of my career. But I got, you know, I got dependent on him. Mm. And then Ben came into my life. Yeah. And I got dependent on Ben. And he was the one I was leaning on. And he was the one, you know, that was hiding behind if there was something that was a little bit too scary out there. But then suddenly, um, it was that three years later after I met Ben, I went to the States and then something happened. And I started, really started to perform. Wow. Yeah. So So I've been... Sorry? Yeah, I've been leaning like, and when I was a kid, it was my mom I was leaning on all the time. Yeah. She was my rock and she was the one that kept me safe. And then it's kind of gone like that throughout my career um, until I made the jump and then went to yeah, and went to the US. Yeah. And then it just rolled from there. Yeah. Um, I started in 13 over there. Um, it was beginning of 13. I did my first 70.3 in Puerto Rico in 13 and I, and I won it as a rookie. Yeah. Um, on that distant over like um, Leander Cave and Miranda Carfrey and Kelly Williamson and and I was just like, because that the tw- in 2012, Leander Cave has won both oh. um, Hawaii and, and 70.3. So they were just like some crazy women I was racing. I was like, wow, how did I win this race? Yeah, um, right. So something happened there to me. I became this uh, strong little independent badass, I think. Strong little independent badass. That can be the name of your second book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so clearly your relationship with Ben has has changed over the years as well. Which, I mean, that's pretty normal. My relationship with Brett's changed over the years. Um, where, where's it at now? And this is what I was sort of alluding to before: is that you 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 seem to be tackling life very much as a team, um, based on the yeah. work that you're pulling in together. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, I think it's yeah, we are yeah, husband and wife and. And of course, uh, working together as we've been doing for the last um, 11 years, more or less, because mm-hmm. we started, he, he came into my career quite early in the beginning where he was actually training himself for, for Ironman. Mm. And, and then after he went to Hawaii uh, as an age grouper in 2010, he said, I'm going to help you to make it to the Olympics um, and really just trained with me. Um, so, and then after that, he started to take on like a manager role for me and I kind of let off some of my responsibility mm-hmm. to him which mm-hmm. cleared up you know my ability to train better and race better so we started quite early to work together and I think that's only like grown and grown and grown and 
and now it's just yeah rock solid in everything I can imagine um, yeah I feel quite lucky yeah and your parents now as well yeah we are parents <laughs> for, for little Milo <laughs> it's a lot of work it is a lot of work uh, absolutely. Um, Hella, I need to start wrapping this up because I've taken up so much of your time and I'm sure you've got a dog scratching at the door wanting to come in and chew on cords or chew on your shoes or something. Well, I, I went out, I get out of bed very early this morning, um, not very early, quite early yeah. to give him a solid walk out in the forest. So he is probably still sleeping, I think. Well, and we were talking about this before we hit record dogs can exercise or do some sort of mental stimulation and then sleep for an hour or two. Yeah. I, I wish I could do that. Yeah, it's amazing. And then they're so cute because they're dreaming and they're lying and saying funny sounds and uh, chewing sounds and small barks or I don't know what sounds it is that they're saying, but it's so cute. Dogs and puppy the world. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs yeah, he definitely brings a lot of joy, but also sometimes a bit of worries. You know, if stuff happens to him and you can feel how you just straight away take on that, you know, um, super caring, loving role and having to take care of someone. Like in the beginning, I think we've had him for 10 days and he was a bit manic, which puppies are. So we let him out in the hallway with where we have like some curtains with some strings down and he went crazy in those strings so that he actually pulled down the curtain and it hit his uh, leg. Yeah. Uh, so he was, you know, crying and came in with the leg hanging down and, you know, limping over and really, really crying. I was thinking, shit, man, we've had him for 10 days and he's broken his leg. <laughs> oh, no. What have I done? So I, because it was a Sunday night, I called the emergency doctor. <laughs> you are a mum. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And then when finally she said, that, you know, that happens, blah, 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 just watch him for an hour or so. and see how it goes if he starts to stop limping and he starts to stop licking his his leg or else you come in tomorrow we get an x-ray and then after an hour he woke up and he started to walk like gently and suddenly he was starting to run a little bit and finally came he came to me and I started to cry oh because my he was goodness. fine <laughs> he wasn't he didn't he hadn't broken a leg and I was starting to cry I was thinking okay wow that's crazy you are how can you get so emotional yep <laughs> so definitely i'm sold he has my heart oh that's so cute our dog is nearly 13 um wow yes he he definitely is still like a puppy but he's definitely getting older and we had to our bed's quite high so we went and bought him some puppy dog steps so that he can climb up the steps onto the bed the other day he can still jump up but he, he just, because he's getting old, he's getting a little bit arthritis-y. So jumping up and yeah. down is just not good for him. But, yeah, I love that we're rounding I've up. seen yeah. some of the videos with uh, with Henry and, and Frankie and yeah. it's adorable. It's pretty it's adorable. stinking So good. you, if it is that you, that at some point Henry is not going to make it anymore, are you going to have another one? What about Frankie? He can't live without him. Um, have I, you thought about that? I try not to think about it um, yeah. because it makes me too sad. But yeah. I can't imagine our life and our little family unit being complete without, without a dog. So, mm. yes, we would absolutely have another do- We'll have dogs forever, um, yeah. no doubt about it. Um, but I can't imagine a world without Henry. 
because I had no. him before I met Brett. Like he was yeah. my first love. Um, exactly. It, exactly. I actually and a border collie is a special dog. They're um, very really loyal special. And, dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I actually yeah. think he was the first man I told that I loved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Oh. <laughs> 13 years, that's also a long time, right? It is. Can you imagine how much you've done the last 13 years, right? And he's always been your companion, right? Exactly. Always one to talk with, always one to, you know, bring places, going for a walk, chatting about things. You know, he just sits there and listens, head yep. to the side. Yes. Mm, I completely get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they are the best. That's amazing. I love that yeah, this is how are. we're wrapping up the podcast with one of the best athletes that the sport has seen. We're wrapping it up talking about dogs and I wouldn't have it any other way. Exactly. No, they are the human's best friend. Totally. I like that you said humans. It's human's best mm-hmm. friend. You're right. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> um, Hella, congrats on, well, I haven't spoken to you since the official retirement really, so congrats on an outstanding career. Um, Thank you. And I guess on the place that you're at, now, uh, I think you're in a u- unique position compared to a lot of other people who retire from their sport in that you've had this great opportunity to reflect on it so much, every part of it. And I think that's, I think that's a real special gift uh, that not everyone gets to, to chase. And it sounds like that's exactly what you've done. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been amazing to get this book out and, and to write the story and also, yeah, to influence people around the world and also as we are doing with with the coaching setup that we Mm -hmm. are having we've made um to be able to give back knowledge and experience to everywhere around the world it's it's quite it's quite unique it's awesome congrats on all the things but mostly the puppy dog (laughs) of course thank you (laughs) (laughs) i hope to chat to you again soon yeah you too all right take care Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure you hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are using. Leave us a comment. It gives us some feedback, but also helps with our podcast ranking. But above all else, keep yourselves knee deep in awesomeness and we'll speak to you in the next episode.